0: this whole series that we're talking about today is all about the good life. That's right. We're talking about the good life, talking about what makes up the good life, how do we experience the good life. The world tells us a good life is one thing, but we may see the good life to be another, and what do we do with that, right? And so in session one this morning, we learned that the good life isn't about having the bougiest stuff, having like the yachts in Tahiti and Bora Bora and in like Thailand and all the cars you could ever want and all these different things that we may think the world tells us is actually the good life, right? We learn that it doesn't actually fill us. There's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. Those may be great things, but they don't actually bring us true joy. And so that's what we learned in the session. One is that if we're actually to experience the good life, then it really begins by knowing God's love. By first knowing God's love, we have a foundation to build on of where the good life comes from, how to encounter the good life, how to continue to live on with the good life. And so as we dive into session two, we're going to continue to build on that. And so it's not only do we need to know God's love, not only do we need to know who he is and what he's done for us, we need to know and love God's word. We need to know not only God's love, but we need to know God's word. And so write that down, write it down in session two. The key to the good life is knowing God's word. See, I was just a little older than you guys when I actually discovered what the good life was all about. I was just a little older when I discovered that joy just didn't come from like an emotional high or that it was like from all the achievements that I could accomplish because those things come and go. And that I found out that joy is something far more meaningful than just having an emotional attachment to it. And so I was a little older when I actually realized that the Bible isn't just about having a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not about having a bunch of like a rules that we have to follow. I learned that it's actually not all that hard, to it's actually try and do my best to follow Christ. Because it's not this slave, slave master type mentality that we learned in session one. You see, it was just a few years ago, honestly, just a few years ago when I realized that this book would change my life. It was just a few years ago that I realized that the God that this book talks about truly changed my life. So I don't want you guys to think about this Bible. When you look at your Bible, I don't want you to have to think about, man, that's a bunch of old words on a bunch of old pages that don't really mean a whole lot to me because it's not for me. That was for somebody else thousands of years ago. That's not my thing. Because here's what I want you to hear is that you can't love God and not love his word. You can't love God without loving his word. Because this word is what tells us who God is. This word is what tells us how we actually know God, know what matters to God. how we know how he cares for us and loves us like we talked about in Session 1. if we truly are to experience the good life, it starts with knowing God's love and then knowing his word. Some crazy statistics that I want to share with you guys, and literally, it kind of blows my mind when I think about this. There's a big national poll that went out about four years ago amongst Christians, and it says this, about 25% of Bible-believing Christians have a plan for reading God's word. Only 25%. That is not a large number. Like, let's say, really, like, we have, like, 50 of like, you students here. And imagine that every single one of you is a Bible-believing Christian. That's only one in every four of you would say that you actually have a plan to read this Bible. Think about that from, an, like, a national poll. We have over 330 million people in America. That's a lot of people. And then if you were to, and then the average American, like, 65% of Americans profess to be Christians. A lot of people, Right. If there's 330 million, 65% of them say, hey, I'm a Christian. But 65% of 330 million is 215 million. They're not numbers up there. This is just for like you math wizards. We have 215 million people who are saying, hey, I'm a Christian. That's a lot of people, right? But yet not all of them even spend time in God's word. 43% of those Bible believers are those people who profess to be Christians then comes down to be 92 million people. And so of the 92 million people say, hey, I'm an evangelical Protestant Christian. So that means like non-Catholic who are saying that I believe in the Bible. That then cuts it down to literally 23% or 23 million people in America have a plan to read the Bible. Not very many people at all when you put the big scheme. Think about a pie chart. We got a full like math wizards. You got a big pie chart, right? Think about it, you've got 330 million people in that pie chart. That is all the Americans in our country. And then only 7% of those people have a plan to read their Bible. That's what that plays out. And that is a tiny little sliver in that pie chart that says, hey, I'm gonna actually read God's word. There's not many people at all. And I tell you that just because for you guys, for those of you who say, hey, I'm a believer, like, yes, I am a son, I'm a child, I'm an heir to the throne that we talked about in session one. Like, I just want you to realize that reading this Bible is not, isn't only beneficial to your life, but it's absolutely essential. That if you are to actually know the heart of God and actually know what he wants for you and how to experience the good life, then you have to know what his word says. And yet so many Christians in America say, you know what? I love God, but I actually don't care enough to read the Bible. That's what, they, that's what they're saying. And so for you guys today, this is what is so crucial as middle schoolers, is that this isn't just something that you do when you get into high school and you get into college and you get married and you have kids and you say, oh, should we take our kids to church? I think that's a good idea. Like I went to church as a middle schooler. I mean, it starts now. Like for you guys to understand the foundation of who God is and what he wants for your life as a sixth grader, as a seventh grader, as an eighth grader starts now by you saying, hey, I'm gonna commit to knowing God's word. so I wanna do my best to help you see a different perspective of the Bible. Because so often we can think of this Bible as being boring and a chore to read because it's like, I don't have time to, I'd rather play video games. But really, in all seriousness, the Bible has literally almost every topic that you can imagine. It literally covers adventure, action, scandals, lost, love, lust, angels, demons, um, redemption, death, life, and the most amazing part like, of it all. like Literally, that's kind of everything. Like, it is, covers the spectrum of interest for all of us. But we have to read it. Like we truly have to read it to understand why that matters. And so I want to tell us a quick story of a pretty generic family. Like there's this family in the Bible that we that we can read about. They're just like you and me. They are common people. They're not like they're not super bougie. They're not rich. They're actually pretty like poor. And a lot of stuff happens in their lives that cause them to end up leaving where they live. And so many of you, if you raise your hand, if you've ever heard of the story of Ruth. Okay. A beautiful love story, right? Between Ruth and Boaz. One of my favorite love stories in the Bible. But Ruth's story doesn't start with Boaz. You see, she was actually married before Boaz. I don't know if you knew that or not. But the story actually starts with Naomi. See, Naomi is this woman out of Bethlehem. She is married and she has two sons. But there is a massive famine that ends up taking like, out a whole lot of people in Bethlehem. And so Naomi and her husband and her kids end up leaving Bethlehem and going into the country of Moab which is not a Hebrew country. And so they don't believe in God. They don't believe in the God of the Bible. They believe in all sorts of other gods. And so Naomi and her husband and their two sons go to Moab for, so they can survive, so they can eat. And their two, sons, their two sons end up marrying two Moabite women. We have Orpah and we have Ruth. And they end up marrying and they join the family. But shortly after, Naomi's husband dies. Sad day, I know. Shortly after Naomi's husband dies, the two sons die. And so literally within like a short period of time, we have three widows. We have a bigger family of six, and then we have three widows now. Like it's super, super sad, right? I mean, imagine yourself. Imagine like you are struggling with a family, and you leave to survive, and you can have food on your plates. You do everything you can to make that happen. You fall in love, and then shortly after, literally everyone you love dies. That's what happens to Ruth and Naomi and Orpah, right? You have these three women, and in that culture, men did a lot of the work. Not that women weren't important, but they didn't value in the same way they do today. And so men were a whole lot more responsible providing for everything under the sun. And so they'd be in the fields and they'd be farming, and they'd be trading and they'd be making money and they'd be doing these things to be able to provide for the family. And so these women were at a loss. Not only are they heartbroken, are they de- like, they're struggling and they're just like, what do we do? Well, Naomi says, you know what, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to go back to, to my God. Not that She left her God, but she's going back to be with people who worship God. But then she goes to the daughters-in-law and she goes, hey, I'm leaving. I got I to gotta go. Like, I have, there's nothing for you two when you're with me. Like, I can't provide for you. I can't protect you. There's nothing. I want you guys to remarry. I want you guys to have a life. Because it wouldn't be fair to you guys for you to wait for me to remarry to then have more kids, for you to have to wait for them to grow up so that you can start marrying them to then have kids again. It'd be a long time, right? That'd be like, oh my goodness, not today. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking that that's a long process. And so Naomi is just like, hey, like, go, go do your, like, start life over. Start a new family and do your own thing. And so Orpah ditches. Orpah just says, deuces. I'm out. I'm starting my own life. I'm out. I can't, I'm not doing this. But then Naomi says something really, really powerful in response to Ruth that I think is worth taking note of. And Ruth says this in Ruth 1, 16 and 17. He says, do not urge me to leave you or to turn from following you. For wherever you go, I'll go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. This is a powerful statement by someone who grew up in a culture and a society who didn't believe in this God so what I want you to see here is that Naomi or Ruth saw something different about Naomi. She had to have. She had to have seen something so different in the way that she loved, the way that she treated people, the way that she obeyed the God of the Hebrews, that she would have said, hey, I want that. I'm gonna go after that and I'm gonna follow that and I'm gonna choose your God to love and to live by because I see that it gives you more joy than every other God that I've grown up know and believing in and worshiping and following. She left everything behind. And honestly, guys, I think that should be a part of our story as well, is that we have a lot of different pains in our own life, and we may not have dealt with loss in the same way, but we still deal with struggles and we have our own issues. And yet we know people and we've seen people in our lives who are who are truly like in love with Jesus, and we can say, Hey, I want that in my life. I'm gonna choose for that in my life, and we go after it. And so that's just one quick story of the average, average person, just like you and I, who decides, hey, I'm going to go after this God that you are following. I'm going to choose this God for my life for the rest of my life. And so in the same way that we talked about this, this point this morning, I, wanted, I want you to realize this, that the way you view the Bible, like that's just one story of just so many action stories and adventure stories and love stories and all the above that make a connection point with us. But what I want you to realize, the way you view this book determines whether you're going to get sick or whether you're going to have life. Because just like earlier, what I saw or what we, we talked about in session one is the way you view someone or something, right, determines the way and how often you go to them. If we use that analogy of like being mad at, bad at math. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? And so the way we view someone determines the way and how often we go to them. The same is true with this book. Because if we don't believe this is the word of God, if we don't believe this is important to us, we're not going to spend much time in it. We're not going to give, we're not going to commit to it. We're not going to give it our time of day. We're not going to give it our beliefs. We're not going to give it our are like, our, we're not going to believe in its values. But if you do, on the other hand, if you say, hey, no, like, I, 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 I hold this in a high regard and high esteem, like, no, this is the word of God. I'm going to give my time to it because it's important, and it changes your perspective. It gives, like, of course you're going to give your time. Just like this, imagine, like, imagine, name somebody, like, your heroes, one at a time. Who's, like, someone you're, like, celebrity, like, someone you love, like, someone that you look up to? Christian. Hugh Jackman. Okay, any others? Who? Lauren Daigle, okay? One more. Emma Watson, okay. Imagine we had Hugh Jackman, Lauren Daigle, Emma Watson showed up right here, all right? Imagine they're right here just for you three, okay? And whoever else you guys have out there, imagine your person came in and they said, hey, if you want the good life, I've got something for you to read. I want you to read it and then I want you to come back and we're gonna talk about it you would read it, if you say, hey, this is the secret ingredient for you to have the best life possible. I I want to spend time with you. I want to talk to you about this. Like, I guarantee you that we would all do that. If that person in our life came to you right here, right now and said, hey, read this. I want to talk to you about it because there's a secret in here that I think will give you something like the best life possible. We would jump on that opportunity. And yet we have the God of the universe who gave us his word and says, I want you to have the good life and we realize that very few people actually have a plan to read it. It's all about perspective. To help you just to continue with some of the statistics, here's why we are really bad at this. Or just here's more numbers that's showing that we're really bad at knowing God's word. 90% of Americans own a Bible. 90% of that's a lot of Americans, right? We have 330 million people in the country and 90% of them have a Bible in their home. That's really, really good. 10% of Americans have never read a word of it, okay? We learned that 25% of Christians have no plan to read it, at all, or 20, only 25% of Christians have a plan to read it. That means 7% of Americans have no plan to read it, regardless of whether they have a Bible in their home or not. Less than 20% have actually read it cover to cover. And then finally, less than 50% of Americans actually believe this is the word of God. That's where we've gotten to as a country. And guys, that's why it's important as middle schoolers for you guys to not only realize what this book is, but what it means. Because if you, once again, you can't love God, you can't just know, say, I'm a Christian and not actually believe in the Bible. You can't say I'm a Christian that I love Jesus without actually caring about what it says. Because they are a package deal. To love God means you love his word because he has something for you in it. I'll tell you a quick story of a time in history It's one of my favorite periods. And you may have learned about this in class. You may have not. But it's actually about the Reformation. Y'all familiar with the Reformation? Okay, it's about 1500 in Europe, right? At that time in in life, the Bible was only only a couple, translated in a couple of languages, but it was primarily in Latin. And so the only people who could read the Bible were church people, were the Catholic people in the Catholic church, were monks. And so common people, people like blacksmiths and farmers and whatever other job that you could come up with, they couldn't read Latin. And so nobody was really actively reading God's word except for the priest and the monks and the people in the church. And so people would go to, the, like, go to mass week after week after week to hear from God's word, right? But in this time period, it got super, super corrupt. Because the Catholic church, and like, because these priests were the only people to actually interpret God's word and share it to people like us, and they took advantage of what God's word said. They lied about what God's word said. And they came up with all sorts of other things that they needed to do for salvation beyond what the Bible actually said. And there was a monk at this time named Martin Luther. One of this monks actually called out all the lies that the Catholic church was presenting to the people. It was a big, big deal because the Catholic church got incredibly mad at Martin Luther, kicked him out, which is also known as excommunicating him from the church, which is a big deal in that day. But he he woke up the people. He woke up the people of Europe to say, hey, something's up in the Catholic church. Something's going on, and I want to read the Bible for myself so that I can know what's actually being said, what's actually there for myself. The same time period, we actually have someone like a scholar translating the Bible from Latin into English. And this man ended up doing that in the very same way. And then at the same time, like the Gutenberg Press came out. which is a really big ordeal because it's no longer like handwritten translated Bibles or anything else, you have mass production and you have books being published rapidly, constantly. And so it ended up putting, once the Bible was translated from Latin to English, Bibles were spread all across Europe and people were able to read the Bible for themselves. A revolution broke out all across Europe in the 1500s because they read the Bible for themselves. This is what you can happen if we actually take hold of what God's word has for you. And as for me, if we were actually to take this Bible seriously and read it for ourselves, then we would understand why we can't just listen to our hearts. Because our culture today tells us, hey, listen to your heart. Oh, you want to do something? What's your heart say? Oh, you want to date somebody? How does he make you feel? Oh, if he makes you feel good, I mean, do it, right? If it feels good, it must be good. Our culture says, listen to your heart, follow your heart. It won't lead you astray. But instead of listening to your heart, we need to inform our hearts. Because when we inform our hearts with what's true, we can can counter what culture says. Because this is what the Bible actually says about why we need to inform our hearts. Psalm 119.11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Romans 12.2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful. Do you believe that? I absolutely is because I know you guys have crushes on some people one day and crushes on other people the next. And you're like, I thought I liked this guy. Nope, guess not. Like, Like your heart tells you one thing and then another the next. Like the heart says, hey, this is okay. And your mind says, why does this hurt? Right? Our heart will lie to us. And so the scripture says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Honestly is. Who can understand it? Who can understand the heart? And so this is why we must inform our hearts, guys, because the world will tell us one thing. And if, if we follow our hearts, we will follow ourselves into a place that will lead us astray and to lead us into much more pain and hurt, suffering than we could ever possibly imagine. And we must inform our hearts with what is true, with what is what the word of God. Because what I talked about last, on, this last past week on Sunday night, Many of you guys were there. Some of you weren't. But we talked about how the Bible actually has answers to some of life's biggest and hardest questions. And when we actually search the world for like, what is the answer to the good life, to any other question that you may have, like God has an answer for us. But we don't know that until we actually go to the source. This is the beginning of the good life. Think about it this way. Any, Any popcorn lovers? Okay. I'm a big popcorn lover. Like when I was in middle school, no joke, I used to like, we would watch movies as a family a lot and I, was not, I did not like to share my popcorn. Not at all. Like I would pop a massive bag in a massive bowl and I would sit there and I would eat the whole thing and go and get another bag and eat the whole thing, right? Like I love popcorn. But most of you guys know this, when you eat popcorn, it's hard not to get kernels stuck in your teeth. Especially when you have braces, amen, Right? No, it's true. And even if you aren't popcorn lovers, imagine this. Imagine that you have a popcorn kernel stuck in the back, the furthest back part of your teeth that you can't get out. And it's a fat one. Like, you cannot get it. And you've tried using your tongue. You use a toothbrush. You use a toothpick. You literally have tried. You floss. You cannot get this sucker out. You, and you, it, it hurts, right? You've got pain in the back of your mouth. And you're like, I need to go to the dentist. And nothing is working. And so this is what you do. You're looking for other things to use and you can't find anything, so you go to the garage. Start looking around your garage and you see a chainsaw. And you see a chainsaw and you've never used a chainsaw before, but you know if it can cut down trees, it can get that thing out of your teeth. And so you, you start that thing and you put it in your mouth and it gets that corn thing, it gets the popcorn out. It gets the kernel out of your teeth. But at the same time, it destroys your face and maybe your life. No joke. And maybe your life. But guys, hear me out, hear me out. This is exactly what we do when we, go to, when we go to the world with our problems rather than to God's word. Because truly, if God's word is our source of truth, if it really does deliver the good life, then when we don't go to God with our challenges, with our problems, and we say, hey, you know what, I got this on my own. Hey, and you start asking your friends, hey, what would you do in this situation? I don't, and you're like, I like their feedback. I don't like their feedback, but you try it anyways. And you're trying doing everything you can to get this pain out of your life, but nothing seems to be working. And so eventually you get so desperate to get that pain out of your life that you do something so stupid like getting a chainsaw. It may not be a chainsaw, but you maybe do something so crazy that may hurt your life just like a chainsaw would because you are in that much pain. That's what happens in our lives when we don't actually understand God's love for us. We look to the world for solutions that will only lead us into that kind of pain. And it may be a Band-Aid for a fix. It may be like, well, this feels good for a moment. But that feel-good moment will only turn into a deeper and deeper womb, which then leads to bigger scars. And it hurts, and it hurts, and it hurts. I'm telling you, God's word has an answer. God desires out of his love for you, his care for you. His word is, was, is what's true. And he's telling you, hey, you don't have to do that. There are other options. I know your depression. I know your anxiety. I know that there are suicidal thoughts. I know that there are things that you deal with that are like of huge pain. Stop going to the world for answers. Let Bring it to me. It's why I went to the cross for you. You know that burden that you feel like you're carrying on your back? Jesus went to the cross to carry that for you. And we learn that in this word. And so if we truly are to experience the good life. It's not just about, hey, God, I love you. Hey, God, I want to celebrate and have rainbows with you. Like, that's great, but it is so much more than that. And it starts by knowing God's word. And so when you read God's word, guys, I gave you these three questions to ask on Sunday night, but I want you to know them again. When you spend time in God's word, there are some things that you need to ask. When you guys ask, when you read God's word, I want you to ask these questions. What is this teaching me about God? You are reading a passage of scripture. I want you to ask yourself, okay, if this book is truly is all about God from cover to cover, what is this passage teaching me about God? The second question that you need to ask yourself is, what is this teaching me about me? What is this passage teaching me about myself? And then lastly, what is this teaching me to do differently? Because God's word changes you. The time you spend committed to understanding and knowing and, and, and memorizing and, and loving God's word, it changes your heart. So it'll call you to do some things different, the way that you live your life, the way that you treat others, and the way that you go about every aspect. And so if you're tired of feeling the pain of life and trying, tired of going to the world for your answers and, try, and tired of, of just being caught up in everything that you believed in is thinking that that's going to fulfill me and that's going to satisfy and that's going to provide me the good life. I want you to know there's an alternative to that. So once once again, just like this morning, I want you to ask ask yourself this question. What am I filling in my life to be the good life? What am I putting in my life that's saying, hey, this is the good life that is continuously leading you astray? Only you can answer that. I don't know that. Your leaders don't know that. Maybe, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But only you truly know what you're putting in place of God's word. Is it video games? Is it the time you're texting and Snapchatting and TikTok-ing? tiktok TikTok-ing. You know, you can make a verb out of anything. But, but think about that. If you truly, truly believe that God's word is important to you, how much time are you spending in it? Because your actions will speak louder than your words. And if you're not giving it the time of day, then it's not a priority in your life. That needs to be a wake-up call because this is essential for you guys to learn because you guys deal with so, so much. So there is a victory at the end of this. There is a good life to be had. And that's what I want you guys to know. We don't need to feel like, I don't want you to end on a very terrible note, but it's a serious, serious thing. But there really is only one good life to be had. And it is knowing God's love and it is knowing his word. And it starts by committing now. So I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna go into groups and we're gonna talk about what is God's word and why does that matter to you? And why should we really care? Because it's far more than just being a bunch of words on a page. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time that we get to actually be in your word and look at characters of scripture who, who you love and you care about deeply. God, that you do have a plan and a purpose for even the most average people. God, we just thank you for that story of Ruth and we thank you for your word and looking at how we aren't to just follow our hearts because of our sin nature, God, that we are so lost and we are desperately in need of you. So I just pray that you'll continue to convict us over our sin. I pray that you'll convict us of, our, of the things that we were placing and in, in, in where you belong in our lives. And I just pray that you will just continue to draw us close to your heart. And to your name we pray, amen.